And thank you for having me here this morning. On behalf of Stone Valley Church, Graham and Derek and myself, just want to say thank you for partnering with us in the Gospel, for your prayers and for your support. Uh, we, we are really grateful and, and thankful for you. Before we do anything else, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we, we need your help now. As we open your word, as we look at the truths contained in it, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes uh, to the glories and wonders of this truth, and that by it you would feed us, that you would encourage us, you would challenge us, and you would help us to grow to become more like Christ as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please just have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 9, particularly the end of that chapter. We're really just going to be focusing on those last few verses of chapter 9 from verse 35 to 38. I remember years ago owning the little colourful bracelet with the letters WWJD on it. You remember them? Christians would wear them and they would look at them. If you don't know what they were, they would look at them. And in certain situations, they would be reminded of the, of the question, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Never mind that the things that Jesus might do might actually shock us and surprise us sometimes in those situations. But I think the central point was, and still is helpful, what would Jesus do? And when you ask that question of these last few verses of chapter 9, which is really just the introduction to Jesus' Sermon on Mission in chapter 10. That's why I just wanted to read a few of those verses in chapter 10. Then we can ask, in light of mission, in light of reaching the lost, in light of outreach, what would Jesus do? How did Jesus do it? What can we learn from him? What was his motivation in mission? What drove him? And I think our verses answer... Jesus' mission was motivated by a deep, heartfelt compassion for his people, which led to a call to prayer and to action. Jesus' mission was motivated by a deep, heartfelt compassion for his people. And here's the thing for us. The mission Jesus calls us to is and will be hard. There's no, no sugarcoating it. If you read Jesus' sermon in chapter 10, Jesus' message to his disciples, he doesn't sugarcoat it with his disciples. He says it's going to be hard work. And then if you read the two chapters after that, in chapter 11 and chapter 12, the hostility that Jesus faces again and again shows us that mission is hard. We know that, right? Mission is hard. So what we need to do is we need to examine our motivation and ask ourselves the question what's driving us? What's motivating us in mission? If you like a, a road map of where we're going this morning, we've got one main point and it's this. Jesus' motive in mission is compassion for the lost. Jesus' motive in mission is compassion for the lost. And then from that really we're going to see two main areas of application. Compassion leads to prayer and compassion leads to action. Compassion leads to prayer and compassion leads to action. So the motive in mission, Jesus' motive in mission is compassion for the lost. I remember years ago, probably over ten years ago, I foolishly decided I wanted to join the army. 
And I, I started the selection process. Uh, and in one of the interviews, the sergeant major, I chickened out by the way, uh, one, one, of the, one of the sergeant major in one of the interviews asked me this question, what are the reasons you want to join Her Majesty's Armed Forces? And, and, and the question was asked because he wanted to know my motivation, what drove me, what was my reasons for wanting to fight for Queen and Country. It's a good question to ask, isn't it? What motivates you? What's your motivation for reaching the lost? And is it anything like Jesus's? Because if you just look in your, in your Bibles in Matthew, if you read Matthew 4, flip back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, uh, and, and then up to the, the beginning of our section in Matthew 9, and verse 35, you get a really good picture of Jesus' mission in Galilee. And, and these two verses, they, they act as bookends, really, to summarise Jesus' mission. And what do they say? Well, verse 23 of chapter 4 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness among the people. And what if you just flick them back over to chapter 9 and verse 35, it pretty much word for word... Not quite, but pretty much says Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. And and what they're doing, they're acting as bookends to summarise what's going on between those sections. And what's going on is this. Jesus proclaiming the gospel, he's teaching in the synagogues and he's healing the sick. But throughout the whole of that period... We get what Jesus is doing, but there's no real clue as to why he's doing it. It it just says Jesus proclaims the gospel, or or teaches Sermon on the Mount, or heals the sick. But you don't get a real insight into Jesus' own motivation until you get to verse 36. You don't get an insight into Jesus' own heart until you get to this verse. Now, if you know your Bibles well enough, you, you probably could guess what Jesus' motivation is. And the, to be honest, there probably is, and there is more than one motivation. But in this verse, in verse 36, Matthew says, he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion on the lost. And, and this isn't an isolated use by Matthew, by the way. If you want to check later, uh, in Matthew 14, 14, we, 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 we see a similar statement. And then in Matthew 15, 32, Jesus himself says, I have compassion for these people. Jesus had compassion. He had compassion for those he was seeking to reach. I remember reading it a few years ago in a newspaper on Arsenal. I can't quite remember where it, where it was that I was reading it. How a group of people and scientists and psychologists all gathered together in Oxford or Cambridge to, to form a committee. A committee to, to look at compassion. And, and their conclusion was that compassion is really good for society. And the newspaper reported it as if this was some amazing new discovery. And I was reading it and I was thinking, well, duh, there's nothing new here. Jesus' ministry was fueled by compassion. But what is compassion? 
What's compassion? The word here that Matthew uses describes a real gut reaction. Or literally, Jesus felt agony. He felt agony for the people. It's a deep feeling that stems from the heart and makes your heart ache. It is a more specific form of love when confronted with helpless people who are suffering. Jesus felt agony for these people. A bit like when you see a loved one in pain. Or you see a disaster strike and you see that the whole families and their possessions and homes are destroyed. Your heart cries out for them. Oh, Jesus had that reaction here. In a sense, Jesus' heart is so soft, it feels the pain of the loss. It's not hardened by sin or hostility or disappointments. Jesus had a soft heart. And I'll ask this question here, and I'll ask it again. And only you perhaps can answer it. Do we have soft hearts for the lost? Do we have compassion for the lost? Maybe if we're lacking compassion, we need to know what causes this compassion specifically for Jesus. Well, verse 36, if you look at verse 36, it it provides the answer. What does it say? He, He had compassion for the lost because... They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost with no shepherd to lead them. In fact, the leaders they did have were making it a whole lot worse. They were harassed and helpless, literally torn and thrown down. They were wandering in the wilderness, dangerously close to perishing, spiritually wandering in darkness. They were lost people who needed a shepherd. And the more discerning reader of the Old Testament will be having some kind of tracker alarm going off right now. The more you know the Old Testament, the better you will understand Matthew's Gospel. It's the difference between reading Matthew's Gospel in black and white and in technicolor. And here, there's allusions to certainly Numbers 27 and verse 17. If you you remember Moses praying for the people just as they were going into the Promised Land, that they, that they they would have a leader so they wouldn't be sheep without a shepherd. And who becomes the leader? Joshua. And then, years later, in in Babylon, Ezekiel is writing in in chapter 34, uh, and he's writing against the shepherds of Israel without good, and he's saying to them, I'm going to rescue the scattered sheep myself in the days of darkness. I, the Lord God, am going to be your shepherd. And here we are in the promised land, and the sheep are without a shepherd. They need a leader, they need a good shepherd, they need, in Ezekiel 34's way, God himself to rescue them from being scattered and lost, harassed and helpless. And I think Matthew is saying to his original Jewish readers and to us too, Jesus is that shepherd. He is that rescuer. He is the promised Messiah. That is the promised King who will save you. The shepherd who will rescue the lost sheep wandering in spiritual darkness. He is the true Joshua who will lead his people. Do you know what sheep does? Without help from a shepherd or a farmer or anybody else, it will go its own way. It will eat the food that it's been given. And eventually when it runs out of food, it will get lost and die. 
A sheep is totally dependent on someone feeding it, directing it, and caring for it. And although we think, we like to think we're shepherds, we like to think we've got it together, we all crave independence from God. We are sheep. Fundamentally, we're all sheep, going our own way, shepherdless and lost. Helpless because we've chosen to live without a shepherd to point us to the true source of life. So Jesus is the shepherd that helps the helpless and gives peace to the harassed. He's the shepherd who finds his sheep and he saves them. Saves them from our rebellion against God. And and that ultimate mission that in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, when the angel announces to Joseph that Jesus is going to come, you're going to call your son Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. Not from the oppression of the Roman occupation, but from the oppression of sin that cuts us off from God. Sheep without a shepherd. Look, I don't know many of you here, but if you're feeling lost this morning, if you're feeling like life's pressures are crushing you, if you're feeling helpless, if you're feeling harassed this morning, let me tell you, Jesus has a deep stomach aching compassion he doesn't want you to be lost and helpless he wants you to be found he doesn't want you to wander away from him in fact he wants you to come to him so much that 2000 years ago he was willing out a deep compassion for you to no longer to be lost to, to no longer to be harassed to no longer to be helpless he came he came into this world And he died on the cross to take the punishment for your desire to be independent of God. And he suffered in your place in order for you to be found and saved and loved and forgiven. Jesus has compassion for you. So please, if you've not turned to him yet, turn to Jesus, your good shepherd. Come to him, turn to him, and ask him to forgive you of your sins of your desire to be independent of God and follow him as the sheep dedicated to Jesus. Jesus had and he still does have compassion for those sheep without a shepherd for the lost. The question is, do we? Do we? And I ask this because this section, as I said, appears just before Matthew chapter 10 and, and Jesus' sermon on mission to his disciples preparing them for the hard reality of mission. And it's almost as if we have this episode here to show us what is needed through the tough times, through the hard slog of being a faithful Christian, facing rejection and persecution and disappointment. What is needed in the hard times is soft hearts for the lost. What is needed in the hard wrath of mission? What is needed in the disappointments of mission and life as a Christian is soft hearts for the lost. Compassion. I remember having a conversation with my wife a a, a few years ago now, and she asked the question, uh, as she often does, why don't we tell more people about Jesus? It's a good question. Why why do we shrink back? And and you could probably answer that yourself somewhat, in some, some degree. 
that I think it boils down to one of two directions. We either don't believe the gospel or not. That people can be saved because Jesus has taken their punishment for their rebellion against the holy God and rose from the grave to give everlasting life. We don't believe that enough or we don't care about the lost enough to tell them they are sheep without a shepherd. Helpless and harassed heading to hell. So what's your motivation? What's my motivation in mission? There will be other motivating factors. Perhaps for you, your main motivation is gratitude. You're so overwhelmed by God's amazing grace, by his free gift of life to you that you do not deserve. You can't help but tell others. The overflow of God's grace just means you just want to go out and tell others. And that's great. I hope that is the case. But maybe for you, the, the chief motivating factor is obedience. And that's fine too. I mean, the end of Matthew's gospel is pretty clear. Jesus commands, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's a, that's a command. So it's good if to be motivated by obedience. But let me say, there needs to be something more. And this passage tells us the fuel we need to get up and go and cross the pain barrier in Rico Tyson's words. To tell people about Jesus is deep compassion for them. That we are in literal agony and pain because we know where they're going without Christ. And if we don't have compassion them, if we don't love them deeply, then I suspect other things will become more important. Other things will compete for our affections, that will compete for our loves if we don't have a deep compassion for the lost. Because it doesn't really work like that, does it? I tell you, have compassion, and all of a sudden, compassion springs up in you. You don't go to the supermarket, look on the aisle, find compassion in the drink cycle, and drink it, and then just have compassion all of a sudden. It doesn't work like that, although I do pray. I pray for you and for me that the Holy Spirit right now will be working in our hearts, igniting a flame for the lost here in Otley and here in the Spend Valley of a deep compassion for the lost sheep. I do pray that, that, that the Lord, through his Spirit, would do that. But really, it does require an examination of our own hearts, which perhaps starts with the question, if I don't have compassion for the lost, why? Why don't I have compassion? What's stopping me from loving these people around me? And if you don't have compassion or enough compassion, a kind of compassion that Jesus has here, my own suggestion to me and to you is to just ponder what it means for people to be harassed and helpless Sheep without a shepherd. Lost without Jesus. The other week I I started watching a TV show called The Last Ship. Which is basically about a worldwide disease that wipes out humanity. Cheerful TV program. Uh, and, and in one episode the doctor trying to find a cure says something like this. I'm paraphrasing. 80% of humanity are dying or dead. The disease has killed them. And that got me thinking, what does it mean for the people of Otley, for the people of Spen Valley to be harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd? 
it means that probably, probably over 90% of the people in Otley are dying of a deadlier disease called sin. That will mean they are cut off from the loving presence of God forever in hell. But over 90% there is no hope unless Jesus is proclaimed and preached. That's the reality. Jesus is the only cure, the only cure to the deadly disease of sin. The rebellion against God that infects us all. And but for Jesus, but for the cross, but for the empty tomb, there is no hope. No cure, a hundred percent fatality rate. That should tug our heartstrings. If that stirs up some inkling of compassion, some shred of compassion in you, compassion like Jesus has, then, then I think this passage then, then goes in two other directions. Because compassion leads to something. And here we see that the first thing that compassion leads to is prayer. A couple of years ago, we were in Keswick. We were staying with a few people in the house together. You know, when the convention happens, we love it. We go up every year. It was a really hot day, and, and a few had gone out for a walk. And when they got back, one lady started struggling to speak and to grip with her hand for a few minutes. And, and we weren't sure what it was, but later we, we found out that it was a mini-stroke. After a few minutes, the lady uh, was fine again, and she said something like this, Thank you to whoever prayed for me. And we all looked at each other with our phones in our hands, trying to figure out what was going on, and we realised something quite chastising. Our first reaction to the problem wasn't pray for it, it was Google it. (laughs) I reckon that story is probably true for a lot of us. The first reaction is Google it or fix it. Don't pray about it or pray for it. When actually we should be getting down on our knees to pray. And here in verses 37 to 38, Jesus says something that is completely obvious to us here in Yorkshire, is it not? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We get that, I think. It's a sad fact. There are not enough churches in Yorkshire, and too many of the churches are fairly small, and even in those small churches, the workers are few because you've got quite a few consumers coming in, not actually doing the hard work. The labourers are few. It's one of those stats that have been going around for a while now, and I, I don't know how to verify it, but certainly in my situation in Spen and Brighouse it seems true that only less than 1% of the population of 5.5 million people in Yorkshire attend church. Less than 1%. Now we know that people going to church doesn't make them a Christian, so that the stat probably is even lower than that. The workers are few. We know that. I mean, you guys know that, right? Just check the last census... Botley, the population of Otley is what? Over 13,600? In Ilkley, over 14,800? How many are here? You can do the math. And yet I'm sure you believe, otherwise you wouldn't be here, that the harvest is plentiful. God has his people here. 
but you can't do this on your own, so what do you do? Can I suggest that Googling it isn't the right answer? We need to pray. And prayer is a humbling thing because it drives you to realise that you are not in control and you cannot do things on your own. You need help. And the mission is hard. The workers are few, so pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore. Jesus is saying. To God who can change your circumstances in order to help your mission. What should we pray for? What should we pray for? The interesting thing here is that Jesus doesn't say to pray that everyone that you're trying to reach for the gospel, pray that they'll be saved. Which is a wonderful prayer to pray, by the way. Pray that. But he doesn't say pray that. Neither does he say, neither does he say, pray that you'll have the courage and the confidence and the clarity to proclaim the gospel when you get the chance although again that is a great prayer to pray Paul often asks for those kind of prayers in his letters no what does he pray he prays he asks in verse 38 for us to say ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out labourers to send out workers into his harvest field you see what he's done right he's made the obvious point there aren't enough labourers so what's the solution? More labourers, more workers. You're asking God for help by providing more help. That is something we are, as I said, actively doing in the Spend Army. We, we, we are keenly aware of the fact that we need more labourers, we need more workers in the Spend Valley. As I said, we're, we're small 13 members in a valley of 50,000 people. We need more labourers. Can I suggest that what Jesus is asking here is a prayer that you can pray to? Maybe you're already doing it. But pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest for more labourers. Ask the the Lord of the harvest for more workers. And look, look again at what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying, ask the Lord of the harvest for more leaders for those people who seem to have it all together they don't but those leaders who are, who are mature and will just get in and stuck in he doesn't say that neither does he say ask for the really bright people from Oxford and Cambridge and PhDs coming out of their ears uh, you know these really intelligent people pray pray that you get more of them although that's not a bad prayer to pray what does he pray he asks, he says, just pray for ordinary, everyday workers and put a hard graft in for the gospel. Who will work hard. Who will put a shift in for the gospel. And look, the likelihood is, if you start praying this, these workers will come with their own peculiarities and problems. And it's very unlikely you'll get a full-on mature Christian who's got it all together But are they willing to work? Are they willing to labour for the gospel in all? Are they willing to become a member of the church and disciple and be discipled and seeking to reach the lost because? Because they have deep compassion. They have soft hearts for the lost. Are we praying for more workers? There is a note of optimism here too, though. 
it seems a little bit doom and gloom in a sense, but the optimism here is that there is a harvest here. There are people who will be saved if you send the workers out. The lost will be saved in Otley. This isn't a fallow field. For years the seed has been scattered over years of faithful ministry. And yes, the workers are feeling perhaps need more workers, but there is a field to be harvested and where hard, long, patient work will see fruit. There is a harvest field. So compassion, it leads to prayer. It leads us to ask for help from the Lord of the harvest, knowing that the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And it leads us to pray, therefore, for more workers, more laborers. But here's another caution. Is Jesus just saying, pray? Pray for help and just pray and keep on praying. In fact, stay in this building and pray and pray and pray until more laborers turn up. You don't have to actually go out and do the hard work. What we're praying for is more laborers, more workers. We, we, we're the prayers. <laughs> is that what Jesus is saying? I hope that you realize that's not the case. If you think that is the case, you've completely missed the whole point of the passage, the whole point of Matthew, and probably the whole point of the Bible. Because compassion, a deep felt compassion for the lost, not only leads us to prayer, it leads us to action. And I think you, you see this here. Compassion for the lost leads us to action. And what does it look like when you are actively on mission? Can I suggest that there's a really good little illustration for this in Matthew chapter 9? If you turn back to verse 9. That little episode where Jesus is calling Matthew. He's calling Matthew to be his disciple. And and Matthew, he he throws a dinner party. And because Matthew is a tax collector, when he throws a dinner party and invites his friends, more tax collectors turn up. Uh, And obviously tax collectors, they weren't liked by the Jews because they were seen as traitors, people who were colluding with the Romans and skimming off the top to get rich. And so one of the Pharisees asks one of the disciples in the middle of this dinner party, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? In verse 11. Why does Jesus hang out with sinners? Now Jesus answers in verses 12 and 13, he hangs out with sinners because they're the ones who need a doctor. They're the ones who need saving. And yet, I think if you read this section in light of the the verse 36 at the end of this chapter we can also say Jesus hung out with sinners because he had compassion on them a Christian who is active in mission is a Christian who hangs out with sinners with the helpless and harassed with the lost sheep somebody who has a soft heart will mix with non-Christians it leads to action. Compassion does not lead to potato, couch potato Christianity. It leads to people hanging out with our neighbours, our friends, with the people in Otley who do not know Christ. And that's what verse 35 shows us really summarising. Remember what we said about verse 35? Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. Jesus was actively on mission in Galilee. 
He was actively on mission. His threefold mission, as it were, of teaching, proclaiming, and healing was fueled by this compassion. He had deep compassion for the people. And that then told them the good news of the gospel, that he was the rescuer, he was the shepherd, he would say. He taught them Sermon on the Mount, and he healed them. He was up and down the hills and the valleys of Galilee. He was up and down the hills and the valley of the north. And he was proclaiming the gospel. And he was teaching them. As one writer says, the cause of Jesus' ceaseless activity is traced to his compassion on the crowds. You get the picture. I hope you've got the picture by now. Compassion is the motivation for action. Because agony for the lost makes you get up and go. And in chapter 10, which is why I wanted us to read a bit of chapter 10, Jesus is instructing his disciples to do just that. To do the same, to proclaim the good news in verse 7, to heal the sick, verses 1 and 8, and though not explicit in, in his message, to teach people. Something the Great Commission makes perfectly clear. So for our purposes, compassion, it should lead to action. It should lead to proclaiming. It should lead to heralding, telling people about the good news of the gospel. It should lead us to teach them the Bible. And at the very least, it should lead us to care. Care for the sick and care for those who are ill. It should lead us to have soft hearts for the lost. Is this you? Is this me? Does this describe Bethel Church Otley? Are you a church that is actively trying to reach the lost because you have deep compassion for them? You are actively on mission, proclaiming, teaching, caring. Perhaps our mission can be summed up by the night slogan, which just says, what does it say? Just do it. Just do it. Graham came up with this. He's, you know, very just. He, he says it as it is. You've got a job to do in here in Otley. We've got a job to do in Stone Valley. Just do it. Just do it. Proclaim, teach, care for the lost. Because compassion leads to going. It leads to action. You cannot be compassionate and be inactive. So are we just doing it? Am I just doing it? Because we have compassion. A deep sense of agony. A knowledge of what's going to happen to the lost if we don't tell them about Jesus. What is motivating you in your mission here in Hobbit?